I want to ask you to do something with me for a second. I want you to go back in your memory banks, think back across the landscape of your life, and I want you to go to a moment that you remember from your life that is cringeworthy. Now, don't be too hard on yourself. Don't make it too heavy, but just something that you look back on and you're kind of like, oh, I wish I hadn't said that. I wish I could have that back or, ooh, I can't believe I did that. You know, something that kind of makes you just cringe and you hope nobody remembers it. You know what I'm talking about? Well, I'm, I'm going to help you if, if you're struggling to come up. More than likely, you're not. I mean, most of us have those things like top of mind. For me, I'm going to go back to when I was in college. It's a sophomore at the University of Texas, and it was parents weekend when my mom came to Austin from Houston and she came to visit and she came to town and she went straight to the apartment that I was sharing with three other guys. Now, before I go any further in this story, I want you to know that I almost didn't tell you this story. That's how cringy it is to me. Like, I, I'm, not, I'm not proud of this. It's hard to share, but I think if God uses this to maybe help somebody in their life, then it will have been worth it. Mom came over, and we didn't even realize through the first really couple of months of, of that fall semester, my sophomore year in college, we didn't, we didn't really clean the apartment per se. I, I don't know if you've ever been into a guy's apartment in college, maybe his first apartment out on his own. It's rarely something that is safe. I mean, long before... We were worried about PPE and all those kind of things with a pandemic. My mom probably should have had one on. And some of you may be thinking, Mac, it couldn't have been that bad. Let me just tell you this. At the end of that year when we moved out, we most decidedly did not get our security deposit back. It was, it was bad. And like I said, I'm not proud of this. I've grown immensely since then. But it was, it was just, it was dirty. It was, it was cluttered. And I couldn't help but think about that apartment down on Leon Street here in Austin as I was preparing and praying through this message this weekend because I realized that a lot of times, as a matter of fact, I've never met anyone who hasn't had to wrestle with cluttered thoughts and, and things that go on in our brains and our minds that are, that are chaotic and, and disordered like that apartment on Leon Street. And I realized that's actually a great place to begin this sermon. As we think about what we've been talking about for the last few weeks, we've, we've been really drilling down into Jesus' statement when he said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. And We've been really mining that Jewish concept of shalom, that, that idea of, of real human flourishing, the heart and the art of human flourishing that we're created in the image of God to experience in relationship with God. But as I thought about shalom and as I was thinking about peace, peace in our world that is literally dying for that peace, I realized shalom, real shalom begins in your life and in my life. That, that's where it starts. If we're going to know shalom in the world, we have to know shalom in our lives. And, and our minds are where this battle takes place. Our minds and our hearts. Now, make no mistake about it. It is absolutely a thousand percent true that Jesus Christ is the Prince 
of peace. He is the Prince of Peace, period. But our minds and our hearts are the, are the, the power plant where he generates that peace. It's, it's where it takes place, where it happens. This morning, we're gonna be in 2 Corinthians chapter number 10. I wanna encourage you to start looking that up, maybe opening it up or scrolling on your phone, however you read the Bible. We'll have it on the screen if you don't have a Bible with you. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, the Bible speaks very, very clearly about how we, how we set the stage for the Prince of Peace to generate that peace that passes all understanding. And, and I think it's important for us to understand that that's where it begins. I'm gonna start in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse three, and we're gonna go to verse five. This is what the Bible says. It says, though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. That's a great term, isn't it? To demolish strongholds. Turn to your neighbor right now, even online, and tell him, get your demolish on. Online, I'm sure you did better than the folks in the room did, but we all believe in everybody. Here we go. We demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Man, isn't it true that, that I mean, right now, in this moment, I think we could make a strong case for the fact that you and I are living in the most peace-challenged period of the last hundred years. I mean, it is, it is tough to find some peace in our world, maybe tough in our homes. Here's what's been amazing that I've discovered through quarantine since the shutdown order back in March is... I've shared with you before that Julie and I, you know, we, we try to start every single day of our lives with coffee of a morning on the back porch. We, we just have a cup of coffee and we just kind of sit there. And lately, we've been, we've been getting up before the sun because we like to see the sun come up. We like to see the sky start to light up and hear the birds come awake because we are just that cool. And, and during quarantine, Julie hung a couple of bird feeders off of our back. Well, she had me hang a couple of bird feeders off of our back porch. And we always know that the morning is getting serious when we see the bird, the cardinals especially, start to come to the bird feeder. And, and there's one cardinal in particular in our yard that I can't quite figure out. They're, they're obviously beautiful to look at. But during the day, during the day, throughout the day, when I'm in my office at home, this cardinal flies into the window over and over again. <clears throat> he just keeps hitting the window with his head. And, and I don't speak cardinal, so I can't tell him not to do that. But it's the craziest thing I have ever, like, over and over again. Our windows are now scarred from his beak and his head. Just... And he'll hit the window, fly out, and then fly back and hit it again. But early in the morning, early in the morning, the cardinal is super chill. He flies around and he comes up to the bird feeder 
And then the, the female comes in and she starts to feed. And there's they're totally chill. And, and then the day begins and we go on about our business. And then sure enough, about, I don't know, 8.45, 9 o'clock at the window of my office. He just keeps ramming his head into the window. Don't be like the cardinal. I think a lot of times we keep ramming our heads into things thinking that they're going to provide peace or they're going to provide security when in reality it is only Jesus Christ who is the Prince of Peace. No other thing, no other person on this planet will ever provide the peace that passes all perception. Nothing but Jesus and our relationship with him will ever do that. And how we get there is through our minds and our hearts, but especially with our minds. Now, what's fascinating to me is the fact that science is beginning to kind of catch up to God. If you'll, if you'll kind of do some reading and some research, science is beginning to determine the reality that as we think, so we are, as the Proverbs say. Science is telling us now that how we think is actually going to rewire our minds and our brains. So taking every thought captive to Christ is now being supported scientifically. Dr. Caroline Leaf is a neuroscientist who specializes in neuroplasticity. Yeah, that's a $10 word right there. Let me tell you what it means. Neuroplasticity refers to the brain's capacity to alter and reform itself physiologically and biologically by what is thought. So when the Bible says, be transformed by the renewing of your minds, that's not just religious wishful thinking. That's an actual thing. You can actually retrain your brain by the thoughts that you give residence to. Here's, what's, here's what Dr. Caroline Leaf writes. She says, what you are thinking every moment of every day becomes a physical reality in your brain and your body, which then affects your optimal, optimal mental and physical health. These thoughts collectively form your attitude, which is your state of mind, and it's your attitude, not your DNA, that determines most of the quality of your life. So what we think on, how we think, goes light years toward determining the quality of our life. Dartmouth University did a study recently where they took subjects and they told the subject that they were going to study people's responses to a, to a physical scar that they would put on their face by means of makeup. And so they took the subjects and they, they gave them a makeup, showed them themselves in a the mirror with this scar along their face. And just before they were going to send them out into the world to record people's responses and perceptions of a scarred face, they said, you know what, Let, let's do something real quick. We want to just, we want to just touch up the makeup and, and touch up the scar. Unbeknownst to the subjects, what they were actually doing was removing the scar. They, they took the makeup away and they walked out into the world not carrying a scar. What was fascinating was that when they came back, they gave reports of people's perceptions of them with a scarred face and said they were, they were standoffish. 
they were, they were put off. They were awkward. There were moments where they were staring at the scar, not knowing that they didn't even have the scar anymore. What they were thinking actually determined how they saw other people and how they saw other people determined how they responded to those people and actually changed the reality. You see, what we think is kind of like walking around with virtual reality goggles. Have you seen these things, the virtual reality goggles you can play a game in and all that kind of stuff? And it's amazing what they can accomplish in terms of a video game. But let me just tell you what, I wouldn't want to preach here on this platform that's, I don't know, 30 or 40 feet tall and, and have these goggles on. I would be seeing something. I could step off of the stage and take a tumble that would hurt your pastor. What we think determines what we see. What we see determines what we do. And so when the Bible says take every thought captive to Christ, that means every thought. Now, let's just take just a real hot minute here and admit to ourselves and to each other, you cannot control every thought that comes into your brain. How many of you have ever had a crazy thought? Can I just see a show of hands? Listen, if your hand is not up, we're going we're gonna to get you into our Liars Anonymous connect group. We've all had crazy thoughts. I remember in fourth grade, in fourth grade, we took a field trip from Houston to Austin. We came to the state capitol. Wow. We stood in the dome and stood underneath and heard the echo come off. And, and some of us took the stairs up to the tallest banister in the rotunda at the state capitol. We, we thought, let's just go to the top, man. Let's see if we can get out on the roof. We didn't get on the roof, but we got to the tallest banister. And I'll never forget walking, running from the stairs to the railing around the top and looking down. It looked like four football fields to the floor of the state capitol. And I, I remember this as clearly as I'm standing here. In fourth grade, I thought, what happens if I like just all of a sudden have an involuntary movement, and I jump. So I backed away from the railing. Now, that's a crazy thought. Nobody is going to walk up to a railing and go, I wonder if I could fly and jump. That's, you're not going to do that. We have a lot of other crazy thoughts. You cannot control every crazy thought that comes into your mind, but you can absolutely control, and you do control, how much intellectual, cognitive and emotional real estate you give to those crazy thoughts. You determine how much of your mind you're going to devote and give. It's kind of like this. You could have a crazy thought run through your mind and just kind of let it go on by, or you could have a crazy thought run through your mind and say, hey, pull up a chair. Let's talk a minute. You know what? Let's, let's kind of hang out in the chaise lounge by the pool with a little drink with an umbrella in it, and let's, let's get to know each other. And as you do that, the Bible says, be very, very careful. Take every thought captive to Christ. Years ago, Julie and I went through a really, really tough season together. We were on the same page, but, but we were having trouble kind of processing through some hurt and some pain that we had gone through. And, and for myself, I was having trouble forgiving the other person, not Julie. I was like, I would forgive them, but then it would come back up. I would forgive them, but then it would come. Have you ever had trouble forgiving? I mean, it can, it can be kind of all-consuming if you're not careful. 
Well, we went to see a Christian counselor who actually is here in town, a guy by the name of Dr. Chris Thurman. And I'll never forget when Dr. Dr. Thurman was helping me kind of process through this. He said, Mac, forgiveness sometimes has to happen again and again, but you shouldn't stay wrapped around that axle. And, and he gave me kind of a, a little redirect in my thinking. It, was, it wasn't a hard 180 to go in the opposite direction. He just said, I want you to think about it in these terms. And it was that slight little tweak that he gave me in my thinking that all of a sudden I was able to go, oh, okay. Now I understand. I, I could put it in a bucket that made sense for me and move on. And so even if the, the subject or the, the person's name came up again that I had forgiven and I maybe I had to forgive again, it wasn't the same as getting wrapped around that axle. It wasn't like all the angst and all the, the frustration and the anger and, and all that stuff came back up again. It was just kind of like, okay, there it is. I know now how to think about it so I can put it in its proper perspective and move on. Dr. Thurman has a great book that I'd love to recommend to you. It's called The Lies We Believe. It's a great title, isn't it? Because the lies that we believe determine how we behave. So when the Bible says bring every thought captive to Christ, the Bible's telling us here, what, I'm, what, what he's calling us to is to fight, to, to combat the chaos in our world and in our lives. And the way that we do it is right here in 2 Corinthians 10. Let's go back to 2 Corinthians 10. First of all, differentiate. Differentiate. Everybody in the room, everybody on, at home, say this with me. One, two, three. Differentiate. Differentiate. What that means is we think differently than the world. Jesus said, the world will hate you on my account. Jesus said, in this world, you will have many troubles. But he says, differentiate the way that you think. What does it say? We do not wage war as the world does. We, we, we handle ourselves who go by the name of Christ differently than those who don't. We, we don't get mad at the world for being the world. But we're certainly not going to participate with them and fight in the same ways that they fight. We are to be different. We're to be differentiated. I love the saying that everybody wants to make a difference, but nobody wants to be different. This is one of the gifts that we give our children. We teach our kids, you are strong enough to be the only one. You're strong enough to be the only one. We have to believe that about ourselves too. We're strong enough to be the ones who differentiate the way that we wage war in this world. The, the tools of our warfare are the amazing grace of God, the truth of Jesus Christ. It's different in our world. We, we, don't, we don't engage in the kind of nonsense and chaos and vitriol that is out there in our world. Differentiate. Number one, we differentiate. Number two, we discern. We discern. And if we're going to differentiate, then we have to be discerning. James chapter one, verse five. I'm not gonna put it on the screen, but it is a promise from the heart of God. It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously without fault and you will receive it. If you need wisdom, ask God. If you need it, just Ask him, God, I need your wisdom. 
I need your wisdom. Now, there are a lot of people that we can learn from in this world, a lot of books that we can learn from, but never forget that all truth is God's truth. And so we have to discern that which is of God and that which is not. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. They're not. We, we, we are discerning. So we can we discern and we understand that everyone is valuable in God's eyes and everyone is capable of being wrong. There's no one who's immune from being wrong or saying something hurtful or saying something not true. We have to be discerning from moment to moment, which is why I think, I wanna ask you a question. I wanna ask you to, to raise your hand. How many of us in the room are just like through COVID and everything else going on in the world, how many of you feel just kind of a general sense of being tired? Can I just show, if you don't, that's cool, great for you. But it's just like, wow. You know, one of the things that's so great about technology is that we can connect. That's a, that's a blessing that we have in this age. But part of the challenge is also that information is so ubiquitous. It is so all present all the time. It's not just 24-7. It's 24-7, hour to hour, minute by minute. And never forget that all information is not created equal. A lot of information that's out there is somebody's opinion. A lot of times it's just a thought that somebody had and they vomited online. So be discerning about what you read. I started watching the news back in March with a critical eye, in a, in a positive way, critiquing, trying to decide what was information and what was opinion, what was information and what were they saying trying to stir people up. It's amazing to me. I, I really, I, I don't care what your political bent is, if you, if whatever, be discerning. Not only should we be sheltering in place right now, less than we were, thank God, we're sheltering place, but we should also filter in place. Filter every thought. Take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. Every thought. So if it's one of the major news networks, take every thought captive to Christ. I, doesn't matter who it is, what it is, every thought captive to Christ. So that's why we read scripture. That's why we memorize scripture. That's why we study scripture because all truth is God's truth and what he has given us biblically is truth. So we're discerning. We differentiate, we discern. But then number three, I love it again, we demolish. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Just, just knock them down. If, if there is a, an argument or a statement that doesn't line up with what God says, demolish it. Just knock it down. You, you can be a very smart person and say a very dumb thing. Happens to me all the time. Not that I'm very smart, but you, you understand my point. When I was a kid growing up in Houston, how many of y'all ever went to an event in the Astrodome? Can I see a show of hands? You went to the Astrodome. 
You know, I saw Elvis in the Astrodome. That's, I fell asleep, but I saw I was very young. But one time I went to this thing in the Astrodome called the Demolition Derby. How many of you have ever been to a Demolition Derby? You haven't lived until you've been to a Demolition Derby. What it is, is, is people in cars, usually old kind of beat up cars, just drive into each other and demolish each other, and the last car running wins the Demolition Derby. It's just a little slice of Americana that I cannot, you can't put a price tag on it. I will never forget that Demolition Derby. I was sitting there watching, and like as a kid, you know, I, I'd never been driving yet, but I liked, you know, cars and trucks and tractors and all that kind of stuff. And just watching these guys just, I mean, go at it. And I'll never forget, at the end of the Demolition Derby, there were two cars still running. And there was one car that was kind of limping around the circle on the floor of the Astrodome. He couldn't, he couldn't really get a lot of power going, but he was still moving. And the other car that still had, you know, his faculties about him, he backed up to the edge, to the boundary marker of the Demolition Derby, backed up and just sat there gunning the engine. Boom, boom, boom. And, and all of a sudden, I mean, he just hit the, put the hammer down and T-boned that other car on the passenger side door, knocking him out of the demolition derby. That car that got knocked out of the demolition derby did not have the power to continue. Arguments and pretensions that set themselves up against the knowledge of God don't have the power to continue. They ought to be knocked out. The thought, make sure that you never forget this. We demolish arguments and pretenses. We do not demolish people. We love people. You can demolish an argument in kindness. You can have a smile on your face when you say, I disagree with what you're saying. I appreciate your point of view, but I disagree with it. And, and here's why. And just kind of lovingly, kindly knock them out of the arena. The thought and the pretense, not the people. Does that make sense? Demolish them. Knock them out. Number four, detox. Detox your thoughts. Take every thought captive to Christ. It's, such a, it's, it's an oxymoronic statement. Captive to Christ. Why is that an oxymoron? because of who Jesus is. Look in John chapter number eight. In John chapter number eight, verse 32, Jesus said something so powerful. It's so powerful that it is literally etched in stone on the main building at the University of Texas. Jesus said in John eight thirty-two, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. So we come captive to Christ. I'm, I'm a captive. I'm, I'm, Paul says elsewhere in the New Testament, I am literally a bondservant of Jesus Christ. And in that bondage, in that captivity, I'm set free. You see, when you surrender to Jesus, when you surrender every thought to Jesus, every action to Jesus, you experience a freedom that nothing else can touch. When you surrender to Jesus, you surrender to the only one who will never take advantage of your surrender. 
you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. In John chapter 14, Jesus and his apostles, the, the 12 who traveled with him were having a conversation and Jesus makes this statement to them almost rhetorically. He says, you know the way that I am going. And Thomas, I, I, I'm so glad that God allowed Thomas to be a part of the 12 and then chose to include his story and his input in the gospel narrative of Jesus's life. Thomas, the one who was doubting, Thomas said, Lord, we don't, we don't know the way that you are going. How, how, how do we know the way that you are going? We can't tell the future. And it was in John 14, 6 that Jesus said to that question, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's the truth. Truth is reality. Truth is, is what is real. And when we live our lives by the truth of God, when we live our lives following the way, the truth, and the life, then we live the life that is truly life. We experience the freedom that Jesus Christ accomplished for us through the cross, through his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And when we experience that, then we, in response, live our lives out of that freedom, free from the fear that is so rampant in our world today, free from the anxiety, free from all of the challenges. Three weeks ago, the United States Census Bureau released statistics saying that over one-third of us more than one-third of us are displaying symptoms of clinical anxiety, depression, or both. Almost 25% of us are displaying symptoms of a major depressive disorder. So if, if you feel a little tired, if you feel confused, if you feel chaotic or even depressed or anxious, you are not alone but you don't have to stay there. You will know the truth. He is the truth. And he will set you free. Take every thought captive to Christ. Because shalomed are the shalom makers. I wanna ask you to bow your heads for just a brief moment. And in this moment, as a family, if you have never committed your life to Christ, you've never surrendered to him, we'd love to invite you to do exactly that. Maybe you're watching online, maybe you're here in the room, but to surrender to Christ is to follow him, to love him, to trust him, and to live in that peace, in that shalom that you were created for. 
If you want to begin that, if you want to know that you know that it's real, then we invite you to pray just right where you are. Just talk to God. Just silently say something like this. Just, just say, Jesus, I need you. I can get wrapped around the axle of life. But I know that you are life. I believe, I trust that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And so in this moment, I confess my sin to you. I ask you to clean it out of my life. Forgive me. And be the Lord of my life. I will follow you from this moment forward. Jesus, I pray this prayer in your name. Briefly, I want to just ask you to remain with your heads bowed, your eyes closed. But if that was your prayer, then I want to invite you just, if you would quietly raise your hand. Raise your hand, but hold it up high over your head for a moment, even if you're online. Knowing that your hand in the air it's just a statement of faith. It's, it's an external sign of what God just did internally in your life. And know that as a church, we want to help with what's next. And we celebrate that and we honor it with you. And so in this moment, we're going to celebrate that with you. As you put your hands down, we're going to put our hands together and tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.